Um, let's pray as we begin, um, and then we'll have a look at these verses together. Um, if I've not met you before, my name's Dan Steele. I'm the pastor at Modern Road Church. Um, I'd love to be able to chat to you, so do um, maybe email us on that link that we gave at the start, or look on the website and you'll find some contact details. But let's pray now as we begin. Father in heaven, we pray that you would be with us this morning as we look at these verses together, in many ways complicated and challenging verses, verses that will stretch us, verses that will um, make us feel uncomfortable in places. And so we pray that you would soften our hearts and you would unstop our, our deaf ears that we might hear what you're saying. And, and pray for all the distractions as well. We recognise we'd rather be together. Um, we'd rather be in the same room. Um, we'd rather be um, sitting alongside one another. And so pray that with the internet and with all the possible distractions of being at home again, you would help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, let me just make sure my phone is quiet. There we go. Um, a couple of weeks ago, if you were with us, you will remember perhaps that um, we heard God the Father um, say to Jesus' disciples, to Peter, James and John, who are up the mountain, that we are to listen to him. Christians are to be people who listen to the Lord Jesus. And some of the time that's fine, isn't it? Sometimes people, even in our own day, love the words of Jesus. His, his pithy sayings have stood the test of time. His, his ethical teachings still are largely admired around the world. Do unto others as you had had them do to you. Amen. Or, or how about let the one who is without sin cast the first stone? That's an often quoted verse in our day, which basically means don't judge me. Or another one that's loved is do not judge or you too will be judged. The problem comes, of course, when we rub up against the kind of teaching that we don't like so much. Do we still listen to him then? Do we listen to what he says at those points when it's when what he says is at odds with what we'd like him to say? And I think in our little encounter for this morning, we will encounter some of those hard sayings. We, we see with greater clarity what it means for us to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple. And, and we see that that's quite a hard thing. Have a look down with me if you've got the passage in front of you. If you haven't, it'd be great to get a copy of it somewhere on a a Bible, if you have to, on a phone or an app, then do. Um, but you'll see when the account begins, Jesus warning them again what will happen to him. This little chunk of Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, in three times in detail, Jesus will tell them that he will rise from the dead. We have one back at the end of chapter 8, at the end of the last kind of half of Mark, um, this time la or last year. Um, this is the second one. And you see, he says we will, he will be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And three days later, he'll rise again. But but still, the disciples are confused by that truth. It's a private teaching session, but they're not willing to ask him about it. The next thing they're not willing to talk about is, is what it is they were arguing about on their way to Capernaum, what, where they are now. And why aren't they willing to tell him what they were arguing about? Well, because they were arguing about who was the greatest. You see... His disciples still hadn't understood what God was like and so what God's kingdom was like. It, in simple terms, they were miles off grasping what it means to be a part of his kingdom. Because there's Jesus talking about his execution and there they are talking about their elevation 
He's talking about his grief and they're wondering who's the greatest. It's something we need to keep reminding ourselves of, isn't it? Speaking to ourselves about because it's just not a natural thing. Our hearts want greatness. We forget what it means to be a follower of this kind of king. We forget what true greatness will mean in his kingdom. And so verses like this are challenging. Have a look at verse 35. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. I'm going to bring out two aspects for this morning, and each one really has got kind of two parts to it. Um, the first one is verse 35 to 41. To be a disciple of Jesus means we receive people whom we would naturally reject. We receive people whom we would naturally reject. It's a question of relationships and it's a question of serving others. Now, if you have a look down at these verses, you'll see the phrase that pulls the section together is in my name or in his name. Jesus repeats it, it four times in these six verses for us. And he kicks off in verse 37 by using a child as a teaching aid, maybe someone who lived at the house where, um, where they were. And, and he calls his people to welcome little ones in his name. And in so doing, they welcome him. And in welcoming him, they welcome the father who sent him. That's verse 37. But then in 38, 39 and 41, he, respe- he responds to a question from John about whether they should allow someone from outside their circle to continue in, uh, to minister in Jesus name. And the point is, though, when we do ministry in Jesus' name, when we act on his behalf, we receive people whom we would naturally reject. That's what real Jesus-looking service looks like. That's what greatness in his kingdom looks like. Let's break them down a bit. Um, And so the, the first kind of example, then, verse 36 and 37, is that we accept even the lowest of the low. We accept even the lowest of the low. And that's confusing because in our days, of course, children have an elevated position, largely because of the Christian roots of our society and the value and worth put upon all kinds of people, all people, even children. You, You can get bumper stickers for your car that says baby on board. And why do we have that? Well, it's it's asking you to drive more carefully. It's asking you to leave a bit of extra space as you're tailgating them on the motorway. Because children are special, they are valued in our culture. But in the days of Jesus, it was the absolute opposite. They were dependents, and so they were the very bottom of the ladder. They were the lowest of the low. They were the ones that didn't matter so much. Which means, of course, what Jesus is doing is extraordinary. He was firstly elevating, lifting up the status of children, calling his people to to respect them and to care for them. But more than that, he's urging us to give time to those who in society's eyes are not worth very much at all. Not just focusing on the prominent or the important or the special or the people whom we will get something back from. But rather those who are considered the opposite. It's challenging, isn't it, when you see it in those terms, when you realise that children were at the bottom of the pile in the days of Jesus. And if we do it in his name, then what does that lead to? Well, we welcome them, and so we welcome him. And we welcome him, and so we welcome God the Father. There's this line drawn between them and Jesus and God the Father. 
And as we look after or we reach out to those whom society would normally reject, then there's a sense in which God the Father welcomes us because we are welcoming him. What does it mean, though, to do it in his name? There's one question. Another question would be, who are those people in our day? Well, what does it mean to do it in his name? In his name is more than simply knowing the name of Jesus or a badge we wear. We do something in his name, whatever that might be. It's, it's more than just a sort of stamp of approval. But actually, it's to do with um, relationship and representation. In Mark, we, we're relating to Jesus. We know him. And yet we represent him. We act on his behalf as if we are his hands doing his work in his place as his body. So it's to do with relationship and representation. Which means as we receive them, those culturally at the bottom of the ladder in his name, then we we welcome the one who humbled himself, who put himself at the bottom of the ladder. And so we welcome the one who sent him. And who are these people in our day? What does this mean for us on a Monday or a Tuesday? Or what does this mean for us as a church? It means that Christians are called to care for those whom no one else will care for. Just as our king in love would lay down his life for us, for the unworthy. So we are in love to lay down our lives for others. As far as I can see it, this is just a call to extravagant love for all kinds of people whether people who are followers of Christ or not, whether people who, who claim to know him or, or, or who don't. It's a thing that Christians down the years have been so well known for. A couple of examples um, from early church history. One ancient writer said, we who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else, now bring what we have into a common fund and share it with anyone who needs it. We used to hate and destroy one another and refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and we pray for our enemies. Another one is that, that the love of the Christian was not restricted simply to Christians, but doing good to all. There's a very famous example. Um, it's when a devastating plague swept across the ancient world in about the third century. Probably it was smallpox. It was called the Plague of, of Cyprian. It's a well-known example. It saw Christians undertaking an incredible feat of medical care. And it was incredible because nobody else bothered. Christians were the only ones who cared for the sick. They were the only ones who took the risk. Indeed, the risk of contracting the plague themselves. The rest of society were throwing infected members of their own families into the streets even before they died so that they would protect themselves. But the Christians cared. The Christians stepped out. Christians were kind. I wonder if that's something of what Jesus was getting at. It's certainly very countercultural. It's certainly not looking after number one, is it? So if the overall idea is that disciples who minister in his name receive people whom we would naturally reject, the second example he gives us then from verse 38 to 41 are, if you like, people not from our tribes, people not part of our group, who, who still minister in Jesus' name, who still relate to him and represent him. 
I mean, maybe the disciples thought they were a bit special even, and they, they're miffed now because they realise they're not that special. They thought they were part of the inner circle. They thought they were important. They thought it was about them. And now they realise it's actually about Jesus. It's common, isn't it? That, that fear of the other. And we quietly think that group over there, that church over there, they, they just can't be Christians. They don't do proper Christian ministry because they're not one of us. They don't do it like we do it. They're not part of our group. And Jesus replies, what matters is not whether they're one of your group, but rather whether they're one of his, whether they are for him. And we divide over all kinds of things. We divide over Bible translation. We divide over denomination or stream or where we stand on particular issues. And yet Jesus says in verse 39 to 40, do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I, I wonder if we would do well to remember this. And it's not saying that theology doesn't matter. It's not saying that the gospel doesn't matter. It's not saying that what you believe doesn't matter assuming that they still claim to do whatever it is in his name, but rather if they relate to him and if they represent him as they live, and if you, if you can see healthy fruit from their ministry, then actually they are part of the group because they are for Jesus. There's a call for us to be generous towards them. There's a call for us to be kind. Not like the disciples who wanted to close them down. And I think you see, again, why we have to be sure to listen to God the Father who tells us to listen to his son, because receiving people whom we would naturally reject, it's easier said than done, isn't it? Really, it means we have to serve others. It means that we have to choose to be OK with others whom we would naturally have nothing to do with or want to disassociate from. Maybe we would rather cross the road or run from them or mute them or block them or ignore them. And yet, as we follow our king like him, then discipleship means dying to self, which is painful. And, and it affects the way we, we relate to people. It's not just, though, the way it relates to people. Discipleship is painful, and yet it, it calls for something else as well. It calls us to radically get rid of everything that would draw us away from Jesus. Second point there, to get rid of the things that would draw us away from him. It sounds pretty brutal, doesn't it? This section does sound quite harsh, and yet that is deliberate, because not following Jesus really matters. And so things that take us away from him must be got rid of. Three times in these verses, Jesus will mention hell. He doesn't shy away from that reality. He he sounds very unpolitically correct at this point. It's not really 21st century speak, is it? And, but if we live in a moral universe and if God is perfectly just and if we do sin, then someone must be justly punished for our sin in the eyes of a moral God. If, if not, then he's not moral. He's not just. He's not righteous. He can't just forget about it and ignore it. 
That would deny who he was. And the Bible says it's either Jesus on the cross, punished in our place, or else it's us. Again, it's times like this we need to remember to, to listen to God the Father who tells us to listen to the words of his Son. Jesus, the most loving man in all the world, in all of history, spoke the most about hell in the Bible. It's meant to be horrific. He, he tells us because he loves us. He tells us because he's kind. He, he tells us to warn us because we need to be warned. He's warning us that a life without God leads to a place of suffering where we face God's justice. And, and we must avoid that place, says Jesus. We must avoid it. And so he, he repeats a different word in this section, and that word is to stumble. Again, have a look down. Verse 42, it, taking care that we do not make others stumble. We, we don't cause those who are trusting him to trip up. See verse 42, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown to the sea. Again, it's it's graphic and it's shocking language. But again, that is deliberate. It's deliberate because we need to care hugely about our causing other believers to stumble or to trip up or to shipwreck their, their simple childlike faith. It really matters. I, I can't stress this more clearly. Take care in how you relate to others. Because if you negatively affect them, if they trip up because of you, Jesus says that really matters. If you cause them to stumble, that really matters. Maybe how you treat them or the example that you are to them or what you teach them or what you say to them. Ask the hard questions of how what we're doing affects other people. So, so that's an external thing. Someone from the outside having a detrimental impact and causing another one to stumble. But then there's also the danger from within, as the passage continues. And so just as Jesus was prepared to put self aside for the sake of winning the prize, just as he laid down his life for us. So we need to be prepared to put self aside again. And again, it sounds a bit brutal and a bit weird, doesn't it? People walking around with hands locked off or limping without feet or unable to see without an eye because they've chop them or they've gouged them. Church would be a strange place, wouldn't it? Oh, maybe a bit stranger um, than it is now. And there are a few Christians who have taken this quite literally um, down church history. I, I don't think he's being literal in that way, of course, because you can still sin without your hand or your foot or your eye, because you can sin in your heart and in your mind, with your mouth and your tongue as you speak. But actually, he's saying we need to be brutal and to get rid of those things that cause us to sin. We're, we are tolerant of habitual sin, aren't we? There comes this point where we just don't notice it that much or care that much. We've, we've lost sight of the reality that God is holy. And so Jesus says, chop it off. Do away with it. Get it out of your life. It has no place with you. If it's causing you to stumble, you need to get rid. Maybe it's even a person or a friendship or a situation that, that, that's forever leading us astray, that's forever knocking us off course, causing us to stumble. 
maybe it's a place that we go to that we think we're going to be okay but we kind of know we won't and it harms us there causes us to stumble or something we we watch or we read or we think about something we take into our heads and our hearts or maybe it's it's a facebook or another website or an app or something that you spend too much time on and you know that it causes you to stumble he's saying you'd be better off getting rid of that thing completely getting it out of your life forever turning your back on it and it causing you to stumble and stray and for you to walk away from the lord there's story I was reading this last week I think it's true it was a railway worker in outback Australia um, middle of nowhere and he was bitten on his hand by a deadly brown snake if you know nothing about snakes you know that's bad news and he was completely isolated and he had no hope of getting to a hospital before the poison would kill him it was basically game over and so what he does is he grabs an axe and he chops off his own hand And he's not sectioned for being crazy. No, actually, he was admired for his courage. Why? Because the loss of his hand was of a lower priority than life itself. What does this mean for us? A few of us last night were um, praying in the old schoolhouse in a distance manner from five till six as part of this season of prayer and fasting that we as a church are going through. And, and if you've been there, you'll know that by the blue door at the side, there's a fault with the fire alarm. I think it's a dodgy connection in zone two, one of the staircases. Um, we've got the company to come and have a look. Um, which means, though, the control box intermittently beeps. If you were there last night, um, then maybe you'll know that. And it's a bit annoying, isn't it? Um, the thing I'm amazed by, though, is my brain's ability to drown out the beep. Maybe every 30 seconds or so, it's just beep. It just keeps going on. And it starts off as being quite frustrating and quite intrusive. But for me, soon it goes quite unnoticed. It's as if I've gone deaf to it. I notice it now and again, but not every time. I think the problem for many of us is that we've sort of lost our sense of hearing when it comes to sin. It, it started off annoying and frustrating and we hated it and it was just, ah. But now we don't notice it so much. Perhaps now and again, oh, oh yeah, and then we don't care. We justify it. To God, it's horrible. That beeping is horrible. But we're kind of okay with it. Jesus says, chop it off. Chop it off. Get rid of it forever. And I think he reinforces that in verse 49. Everyone will be salted with fire, which is, there are questions as to what's going on here. But when you get salt and fire together, it's almost certainly the language of Old Testament um, temple sacrifice. A burnt offering was to be total. It would offer everything. Well, so for the believer, we're to be entirely poured out it, it matters it's not just a hobby that we're a part of it we are a hundred percent in to the extent that even if there are things that are weighing us down causing us to stumble then we will get rid of them and so you see why these are hard verses because to be a follower of jesus means everything it, it, to be a site to be a disciple means no to self 
it, it means we will receive people whom we would naturally reject, whether the lowest of the low, or indeed whether people not like us. Believers who, who claim the name of Christ and yet we've got questions. But as well as that, we will get rid of the things that will draw us away from him. The things from inside that we might need to chop off, the things that cause us to stumble. But also that we will be careful the way we relate to other Christians. That we would not cause them to stumble. Because that would be very dangerous. And so to be a disciple, to be one who goes the way of the cross... To one who, who to be great in his kingdom will serve wholeheartedly. Why? Well, because in his grace, that's what he did and he does for us. He totally poured himself out for us. And, and you know, when we get it wrong, and we do and we will, then we go to that one, that king who poured himself out for us. And there we find the grace that we need because of our lack of grace. Let's pray. As we finish. Lord Jesus, help us please to keep our eyes fixed on you. Thank you that you are the kind of king who pours himself out for his people. Thank you that you're the kind of king who, who's prepared to go the way of the cross because of your extraordinary love and your grace for us. And yet we pray that you would help us to, to live that out. We can't do it on our own, Lord. And so by your spirit, would you equip and you, would you enable us to do that? Help us to be those who receive people whom we would naturally reject, whether the, the lowest of the low in society or, or, or people who are not like us. And would you help us to be those who would get rid of the things that would draw us away from you? Might we not cause others to stumble? Would we take care, please? And if there are things within our own lives that cause us to stumble, help us to be brutal in doing away with them. We're sorry that so often our sin doesn't matter so much to us anymore. We're sorry that we kind of drown it out and we don't notice it or think about it. And so we thank you that you are, you are a God of grace. Thank you that because you poured yourself out and showed us grace, thank you that there is grace for us when we get these things wrong. Thank you that you are loving and kind. Thank you that you are patient. Be at work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.